Hello, love. Welcome. Thank you so much for dropping into Time in the Studio today, where we share behind-the-scenes stories of creatives and plant people and recount tales of change, connection, and plant seeds of possibility. I'm your host, Sarah Marie Miller, and my life is being transformed by plants, art, and these weekly conversations. And I hope these chats can help you along your journey as well. There is so much we can do to heal each other, ourselves, and the earth, and to help create more racial equality and justice. Read a book, make a call, send an email, donate, send a gift, send a plant, meditate, volunteer, start a book club, plant a garden, listen to a podcast, listen to someone. Let's do the work. I am so excited to share with you the conversation I had this week with Justin of Country Gentleman Cooks. He is a profound teacher, musician, cook, and father, and he shares so many beautiful reflections about plants, language, culture, and the myth of race, and the many, many reasons to celebrate our diversity. I think you're going to love what he has to share, and be sure to connect with his work on Instagram at Country Gentleman Cooks. It is so beautiful. I love his videos. They're just really phenomenal. And before we dive in, he wanted to give a shout out to a timeline this week, Gula Ji Chi Gathering. It is an herbal conference hosted by a Soulful Touch Wellness for BIPOC herbalists to help educate, empower, and preserve the herbal legacies of Black people. I will have a link in the show notes, and it looks like a really amazing organization and looks like they have a great Instagram page too. They gave a shout out to another cool organization, which is the Underground Plant Trade, which is, it's a cool option if you're white and want to give a black person a plant this instant. So it's a way to send a black person a plant which I think is just such a cool idea so yeah you can go to that Instagram it's at undergroundplant.trade and I'll have that in the show notes as well okay without further ado let's dive into the show thanks for being here I am beyond honored today to be speaking with Justin Robinson. He is a phenomenal scientist, musician, and cook, and has the most inspiring Instagram I have seen in a long time. He discusses plants and ethnobotany and plays music and talks about current events and just weaves story with informing people about plants and plant wisdom and plant history and yeah I think you're really gonna enjoy hearing his wisdom today so thank you so much Justin for being here today thank you for having me yeah my pleasure oh I'm not sure if I I can't remember if I just mentioned it but your Instagram is country gentleman cooks and I'll have that in the show notes and at the end as well but yeah, I just, I'm curious. I don't know very much about you. I oftentimes have guests that are old friends, but I just felt really called to reach out to you and just to amplify what you're doing in the world because it's just really beautiful and really powerful. And so I'm curious just to know a little bit more about your backstory and how you got into plants, where you grew up, 
just a little bit about your background, some highlights, some lowlights, anything that kind of calls out to you for you to mention. Okay. Well, I'm from North Carolina. I grew up in near Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm. I would say sort of a I, we grew up in the, I grew up in the suburbs. It's my sister and I. And, you know, we're first generation off the farm. My parents both grew up on farms. And a lot of my introduction to plant knowledge was through my mother, who was not an herbalist in any sort of sense of diagnosing people with things, but always used herbs as the first go-to for pretty much any remedy. So any sort of colds or stomach aches or whatever, those were always, she had a cabinet that was just full of like sticks and <laughs> what looks to be like sticks <laughs> I and, love and stuff. And so those were just what we took as a matter of course. That was the first thing that you, mm. that she would reach for if, you know, something was the matter. And I would call that like largely like kitchen medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know most people of the of an older generation sort of everybody sort of knew some sort of basic remedies and so she taught she taught my sister and I that just was just by being around it it wasn't like sort of any instruction like this is this and this is this it was just we were experiencing it as it was happening and then I didn't get into plants until I was in college I've always been interested in being outside and nature and Sort of my first interest was was animals when I was a kid. And later, I guess I was an undergraduate, I started to get more into plants. I wanted to find a career that I could basically be in the woods. And so I then went back later after I've had a couple of career shifts in my life and got a degree in forestry from NC State. Oh, cool. Amazing. Mm Mm-hmm. Is that how you learned a lot about, in addition to everything that you were learning from time with your mother and uh, time with the plants personally, is that where you mostly learned about plants and I got a, botany? I got a lot of information about and a way of conceptualizing about woody plants at mm-hmm. and through forestry school. So those are trees and shrubs. The Mm -hmm. other things of herbs, small things that aren't woody, a lot of that was personal work and personal sort of spending time with those particular plants. I also really love to garden. So we break all those things up into separate categories now, botany and horticulture and forestry. And they really are the same thing in terms, they're working with different aspects of the same kind of kinds of, of energy in the same, though different entities, but it really is all the same thing. So I have, you know, grown a lot of these plants and, and rescued them from the wild and, you know, learned how to be, how to live close to them, learn what they do across all of their life cycle. So yeah, it's been a combination of things, not just sort of school learning, but a lot of like just spending time outside with plants. Yeah, that sounds like wonderful, a wonderful time too, just being with the plants. And I don't know, I feel like there's just a sense of peace just sitting among tall grass or sitting in flowers. Like there's just something that happens when you're with plants that just feels so healing and so transformative and just kind of calls you back, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
There's something That's about true. that. I love the storytelling and just I, with all of the glimpses of lessons that you're offering on your Instagram, I'm just noticing the way that you tie together storytelling and you have this deep knowledge of the plants and I can feel that you've spent time with them. I'm, I'm curious if there's any favorite teachers that you've had along the way in addition to your mother or other people that have helped you learn things or is it really just kind of the plants themselves teaching you a lot of, a lot of um, these things? It's all of those things. One of my most favorite teachers was my dendrology professor at NC State, Dr. Richard Graham. Dendrology is study of trees, mm-hmm. study and identification of trees. And not only was he, you know, just very, very well versed in tree, all the things about trees. He had three degrees in forestry, but he was you know, and he was sort of towards the end of his career when I encountered him at, at the university. But he had such, uh, there's still a glint in his eye whenever he would show anybody a, like how a pine cone was arranged. Mm. Like, no matter how many, I mean, he had probably taught that same course for 25 straight years or maybe more. And, you know, I think he just, he just retired in 2019. Oh, wow. So, yeah, probably taught that class for 30 years. And, he still had a glint in his eye and like, could, we could, like, I could see the passion and just like his admiration for all of these beings. And so he was definitely one of my favorite teachers and taught me a ton about those are the, what I learned in forestry schools, a, a whole lot about the identification of plants. That's what dendro- that's what den- den- identification of woody plants. That's what dendrology is largely centered on. Mm-hmm. And there are other aspects of forestry, like civiculture, which is the growing of trees. Then, of course, there's the economic side and the mapping and lots of other things. But yeah, that, he was definitely one of my favorite teachers. And just, mm-hmm. He had so much passion for it. Wow, he sounds just like so inspiring. Just hearing about him makes me feel excited about plants and want to go <laughs> hang out with a pine tree. It's amazing the difference that a teacher can make. I'm curious if you're kind of thinking of doing more teaching, because I feel like you're a natural teacher, the way that you're presenting information. I could see that going forward as like an online class or something. I didn't know if that was something that was you were thinking of or you're just offering this knowledge as it comes to you and kind of letting it unfold as it naturally occurs? Yeah, it's, it's both. One of the reasons I started doing the botany sort of lessons or offerings is because, because of COVID I had been teaching. I'd mm. been sort of teaching, I guess maybe once a month, a month or something mm-hmm. and just small groups and sort of, sort of the pay, pay what you can kind of thing. And we, you know, maybe be an hour, an hour and a half on a Saturday. And because COVID, like we can't gather in that sort of, those sorts of numbers anymore, even though it's outside and social distances, I I just don't want to, you know, have a situation and offer that to people and, 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 you know, not be fully safe. So, and I really enjoy teaching. So I figure, well, this is a way to sort of get some of this stuff out, partially because I do have, I do have the knowledge 
and certainly, certainly not all of it. I have some knowledge and I want to be able to share that because it doesn't do me only, it doesn't do me much good. Well, it only does me some good if it's just me who knows it. Mm. Um, and so it feels important for me to share, share that so other folks can, you know, walk down the path or drive in their cars and have a world open up to them that they, did, that they didn't know was there before, right? Of course, it's always been there, but sometimes if you look at a forest, it looks like a green wall, especially from, a you know, going 65 miles down, 65 miles an hour down the highway. But once you start to n- know what the trees are and know who they are, that landscape totally transformed. It doesn't look like a wall anymore. It looks like a, looks like a portal. Mm, oh, I love that. It's so true. It is like a portal into another place. That's so exciting. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious too. I don't know, just thinking of portals. I'm also thinking of your music. I just saw that you play the harp and mm-hmm. I was just, I think I was looking at Alayla Diane's Instagram mm-hmm. and she shared a video of you playing the harp and it just broke my heart. It was so stunning. I am curious also your connection with music and how you've learned to play music and how that kind of connects to your life path as well. Well, I've played music since I was a kid. I come from a family of musicians. My mother and sister both played when I was a kid and my grandfather and Lots of members of my family are musicians. So that part just sort of died in the wool. But I started playing violin when I was maybe seven or eight. And then I started playing professionally. How old was I? Maybe 21, 22. And then as I sort of round, round was finishing up my professional career, I started playing the harp, mostly because of I admired the harpist Joanna Newsom so much. And there was a harp, there's a black harp teacher where I live. And so I was like, this, <laughs> this all makes sense. Yeah. And so I started to play and it's an instrument that I actually don't play all that often because it's got such powerful energy. It's not always the right moment for it. At least this is, this is just, you know, just, just my personal relationship with it. That doesn't mean that's, that's true all the time or for everyone. But there are times where it, it is the only instrument that will do, partially because it, this, it's, it's one of the instruments, at least to me, that speaks directly to heaven mm-hmm. in the way that other ones don't. They speak to other parts of our realm and in different ways, but that, that one is a direct connection. Besides our voice, the human voice, and probably that's our very first instrument, and then drums are probably our second instrument that we came up with. And then the harp is probably the third. Wow. That is so beautiful. I had no idea. Just, I don't know, when you said that the harp is a connection to the heavens, it makes so much sense. And I can see how, yeah, it wouldn't be the instrument for all times, but sometimes it's the only instrument for certain times and and I could see especially with the current situation with Breonna Taylor with George Floyd with these deaths that just should not be happening these horrific deaths and 
attacks on the Black community, I can see how it's just such a beautiful prayer and offering that you're playing that music. And mm-hmm. yeah, I'm seeing there's a shift in culture happening, or it feels like a shift in culture happening. And for me, I, I'm feeling like I need to make changes in my life. I'm curious if you're sensing that the world is changing for the better or your perspective on current events. I think I vacillate between hopeful and hopeless. Yeah. Um, given a particular moment or given a particular set of things, I think this moment is calling all peoples to be different, better, to be a higher version of themselves or a worse version of yourself, depending on where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it feels like it's the time of, of drawing of drawing out. Now, I don't know what the mm-hmm. course, I don't know. I don't know what the result of that will be or how that will shape up or whatever, but it does feel like a drawing out and a centralizing moment. And I absolutely feel called to be to be different, to be in a different space, to be moving, moving differently. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I'm not fully sure about a shift in culture. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But, you know, we don't have any, con- you know, we have control. We all have full control over how we shift. Well, not quite, but we have a lot of control over how we shift. Mm-hmm. And that's the most place, that's the most important place to focus. Mm-hmm. That's as individuals. Yeah. That's such a good reminder. And I've, yeah, I feel like white people have a lot of work to do. And it's, so I hope we all do that work on and help make the world a better place for Black people. And yeah, I feel like there is just a drawing out, a changing, a shifting, and it's it's big it's big work and it's long overdue work and i'm just hoping that things can really fully emerge into a beautiful place of equality for all people and for things to evolve and grow and i just i want things to be more equal and to be better for all all people but especially for Black people, I feel like there's just centuries of trauma and just, yeah, we've done poorly for a long time and it's time to do better, so. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sorry, I'd love to talk more about your work as well. And I'm curious too about nourishing yourself during this time and food and um, cooking and how you're taking care of yourself and how you take care of other people and keep your cup full at this Hmm. time. Well, that's interesting. I feel like I'm having to learn all of that over again at this moment. This is a hard moment. And, you know, I had so many strategies that were in place, but just every day keeping my cup full before COVID. And so many of those got sort of exploded during mm-hmm. COVID. 
and then, then, then add this additional sort of like I would call this like acute trauma. There's a running trauma that's always under the surface in this particular set of events mm-hmm. in the past month and a half more acute. So yeah, I've been making trying to do the basics, right? The basics are sometimes the best place to start. Have I had enough water today? Have I eaten three meals? Have I moved my body in a way that's just for me? Have I spent any time outside? Have I done something that is just for me today that does not have any impact on anybody else? Mm. Good, bad, or any or any other way like this is just simply for me it's not well i'm gonna you know wash all the dishes or something like that well that's not just for you that's a chore Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, (laughs) you would have to do that and no matter what the circumstance was versus something like i'm going to read for pleasure or i'm going to take an extra long bath or i'm gonna you know whatever i'm gonna go skating or something like that that is just about you you getting connected to you. That feels like, you know, I, something that feels important to for me to remember. I have the tendency to be extra busy. Mm-hmm. I've got a busy, I have a busy mind. And so for me, it's, it's uh, I need constant reminding to continue to slow down. Because mm-hmm. even in the time of COVID, like I've found things to be busy about. And that's not necessarily the right move. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting reflection. I feel like I can relate to that too, because it has for many people. I think COVID was, was just a time of slowing down and just getting really quiet. And I tried to do that, but I also just like, I'm like, I want to do all the things. and. Yeah. I don't yeah. know, drinking too much coffee or just wanting to be active and keep myself yeah. distracted maybe is part of it. I'm not sure, but yeah, yeah there yeah. is something about that. Yeah, just remembering to slow down. Good things happen with that too. That's exactly right. And, you know, like tonight, you know, I was like, I'm going to do all these things. I have a writing project that I need to do. Mm-hmm. And, well, the power's off. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. I can literally do... N- nothing except be with myself yeah i mean i can play music in the dark but but you know that there's the the amount of things that can be done without you know light or whatever minimal lighter pretty few except for hang out with you yeah it's <laughs> true indeed i'm curious i feel like there this is a time of acute trauma and I just want to go back to that for a minute because I just feel like it just feels really intense and there is something about yeah I'm just curious if there's ways that you feel more supported by people by white people by black people like are there things that you find that are helpful or that are hurtful during this time that you want to name or give voice to? That's a good question. What I think is often not helpful is having, you know, extended conversations with white folks about 
trauma or sort of having them here, having to, or, or having them, having you, having you be act as the sounding board for all the things that they're feeling in this moment. That doesn't mm-hmm. feel appropriate. And what does feel helpful though, is shows, so, so this is, I'll give this in a succinct way. So in my assessment of a black folks, and it's not also, this is not just a black problem. This is the same things have been happening in indigenous communities and Hispanic communities for a very long time. They're just not publicized because they're, you know, those folks sometimes are invisibilized. So the number of, you know, missing and murdered indigenous women is, you know, un, sort of unbelievable in terms of a ratio of the population. They're in a very similar space as black men are in terms of being targeted. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just us. That's what it looks like because we are a larger group and we're easy to see. <laughs> I mean, literally, we stand out against the rest of the population. And so that is a, is a driver. But this is a, it's a big system mm-hmm. um, that, that grinds lots of different kinds of people who don't fit uh, you know, a particular model into the ground. So I would say that I'm only speaking for, you know, my small community, you know, of people who are descendants of African people and who are African people is that we need two things. We need capital mm-hmm. and we need to be left alone. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like, those are the two things that I see as like the immediate need um, mm-hmm. left, left alone so that we can do the things that we know how to do and figure out some things for ourselves. The other thing I think is helpful is that what white folks can do who are feeling like anxious and antsy to do something is be a one, do your own work, your internal work that's necessary for folks to sort of be more present to how they're moving in the world and what they're doing and what, how their how their movement impacts other people. Mm. And to like, protect the sanctity of uh, of our space Does that mm-hmm. makes sense yeah um, that's that's what white folks can be helpful in doing is like serve serving as a bulwark against as we figure out our stuff right we really haven't had a as a as a group of people since arriving here you know you know, Africans have been here since before 1619. That's a date that people have glommed onto as the beginning of slavery because it is sort of the beginning of slavery as we start to understand it. But people of African descent have been there since before then. Mm-hmm. So the we haven't had any time to sort of catch our, you know, metaphorical breath. And that's mm-hmm. what we need. Mm-hmm. And we need money, money so that we can like continue to invest in our institution, on our own institutions and, you know, these are many things over many, many, many years, and it won't be solved in a week or a month or an election cycle or any of these kinds of things because it took a long time to get this way. It will take some time to not be this way. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's in in short, that's those are the two things. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you for naming that. I think, yeah, that there needs to be some more financial stability and security for black people in this country it's you know it's like with privilege we use our privilege to help support black people and make their lives easier 
and just to lift some of the burden really not is what I'm right. yes yeah. yeah yeah that 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 the lifting the burden is you know because if folks have the things they need they don't need any help and like they don't need their lives to be easier you know what I mean mm-hmm. most folks you know given when folks have the things that they need they can cope with all kinds of situations mm-hmm. uh, is when you don't have those things you don't have the bare necessities like mm-hmm. it's going to make everything more challenging mm-hmm. even things that wouldn't be challenging to other people or wouldn't be challenging in other circumstances then become you know a, a, a whole situation yeah yeah i could see that makes a lot of sense and i can see how i feel like white people need to do our own work in some ways separately and not be asking black people to do the work for us and absolutely and yeah maybe just to somehow give more space i think that's thank you for that reminder so is it helpful like when people want to share your posts or yeah that that part feels helpful Okay. Um, I mean, it's Instagram. It's a public forum. I have a public yeah. profile. Like, I don't, <laughs> I'm not <laughs> under any delusions about how the internet works. If I didn't want it to be public, I wouldn't put it there. And, you know, I'm very selective about what, what gets up there. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, that is some very distilled, that's a five minute version of me, mm-hmm. you know, at a, at a particular time or a snapshot or something. And, you know, like everybody's feed, it's, there are 60 other versions. And if you go through your camera roll of things that didn't make it on the feed, right? Right, absolutely. <laughs> um, it's, you know, it's a curation. I'm putting out what I want to be out there, which is, you know, the democratization of the internet and, you know, to be able to control a piece of your own image. It's like a little, like a little media platform, but for, you know, each individual person. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that part feels helpful. Again, like if people want to support the best way, and this, this is me speaking, other people in other communities may have different ideas about what they want right. because every community is not the same. You know, some people need, you know, more political power. Some people need, you know, what, there's not any number of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, what I, what I would say is that we need the space to be able to, to do our own institutions, things that have been, you know, systematically, you know, either straight up destroyed or, destroyed you know through more insidious means by being defunded and and mm. there's countless programs even things that seem innocuous like future farmers of america like mm-hmm. that has a whole racialized history to it that this mm. didn't need didn't need to be there uh, and like every single system because i know people who work in lots of different you know areas of work every single system is the same story Mm-hmm. It looks slightly different for that particular system or that particular occupation or that particular study, but the the pathway looks exactly the same. You 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 know people they say what people say sometimes is shocking, but the the like the individual details of it may be shocking, but the overall pattern is just you're like, yep, I can see that happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I guess we need to do our own individual work so that we can help change the political systems and the systems at large that are also causing, you know, all these disparities and all these inequalities and oppressions. And so, but it starts with within ourselves and doing our own work. 
it's personal work and you know one of the things and this is this is one thing i do have to offer to white people at this moment is that figure out how you got to be white mm. like that's not a real thing mm-hmm. just like being black is not a real. i mean black is a political term and is a political like uh, a show of solidarity but it's not a real designation it mm-hmm. doesn't even make sense like where is the home where where's where do mm. where black people from like that that's where are white people from there's there's no way there <laughs> right. so, like that's not a that's not a real thing i mean people yeah. have and part of why you know why i'm so interested in plant life and you know the natural world is because people are from some place we are mm-hmm. earthling yeah right all of us every single mm-hmm. one of us we, no one came from the moon or some other place we all were born or not from earth and just like any other organism are shaped by our surroundings and our place of origin mm. and so you know i've said this before in other other spaces is that white people don't understand themselves to be indigenous to any part of the earth when that's actually not true mm. right where yeah. where are the people who are the indigenous people of poland polish people of <laughs> <laughs> germany germans Mm-hmm. the Swedes the Finns like those are all indigenous people but that's not the conceptualization that's not the mythology of western Europeans like it's somehow mm-hmm. that they're not that they're not you know a part of that and then you know take put that in the American context and then you get something as like white which makes even less sense I mean I understand the reasons how it came about but it's not actually referring to what people assume that it's referring to we Human beings are geographically based, as are most organisms. They have a point of origin. Mm. So what happens when you, what happens when you're trying to remake your culture in a new place? And then there's a whole other part about what it means to be of European descent and be in the United States. Mm. Given that most Europeans were, you know, no, people were coming under duress. Mm-hmm. Like people were leaving as political exiles or as, 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 or as religious refugees or economic refugees or as actual refugees of war mm-hmm. or, uh, as, or, as, or as criminals or as the fifth son of somebody who wasn't going to inherit anything. There's all these other, all these reasons and the fact that the white people who consider themselves white now, the descendants of Europeans, were not welcome in the countries that they left. Mm-hmm. Like people mm-hmm. don't people don't ever immigrate when their lives are going great, right? <laughs> that's not a thing. <laughs> yeah, that's a good good reminder. That's a good point, and I can see how yeah people came here under conditions of trauma and yep. escape and trying to run away from something, and so now it's like everything's kind of resurfacing and we're having to process what we've never processed. Correct. Mm-hmm. And right. And, and enacting the trauma that was enacted on your ancestors, right. Mm-hmm. Re, 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 reenacting that and on other people 
because there's mm. been no healing from that actual trauma that those people like the Huguenots or the pilgrims or the Catholics in Baltimore or the Waldensians or the Moravians or the mm. Pennsylvania Dutch or the Hessians or the, that I can go on and on and on the Jacobites, the, mm. the people who had to leave the Highland clearances, like, the Scott Irish, all of these groups of people that the the people from the Irish Republic who left because of the potato famine, all of these folks left because shit was not going right in their countries. Mm. They were no longer they were they were no longer welcome, or they could no longer make a living. One of the two things were was always going to be true. Mm. Um, so people were so dealing with the trauma of basically escaping with your life and sometimes not anything more than that cause folks to like, instead of saying we don't want this system anymore, they said, we do want this system. We just don't want to be on the bottom round of it anymore. Mm-hmm. And then you get this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a very simplified, oversimplified version of it, but you know, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a big part of the picture that I don't he- ever hear anybody address. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what it means for white folks, and unless it is, unless you are all, of all English descent, what does it mean? So, you know, in, and, and I would, because the, you know, I talk a lot about language on my feed mm-hmm. and the origins of words and all that stuff, because I think that's, that shapes how we think, that shapes how we think through things. Mm-hmm. And so saying white versus a European American, or I'm of European descent or Swedish or whatever. Now there are ethnic communities in the United States, right? And mm-hmm. uh, of, of ethnic white people, you know, the, you know, there's a bunch of the folks in Chicago, of course, the Pennsylvania, you know, people in, in, in Pennsylvania and, you know, people in Minnesota, the Norwegians and the Swedes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Those folks keep up a lot of the ethnic traditions. And so I'm not necessarily talking about those people, but I am also. But what it requires to be, quote unquote, white, which is a not again, a not a real, not a real thing, mm-hmm. is to assimilate into mm-hmm. idea of Englishness, not whiteness, because whiteness is not a real thing into Englishness, right? There's a reason why we don't speak Swedish or Finnish or German. Germans have a huge influence on the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a, folks had to recruit people into and assimilate people into an English identity. So there's no real thing, such thing as white. So so white people realize that they're going to continue to be in the same space. Like, Wondering what happened to the traditions. What about the sacred tradi- plant traditions of Europe? Mm-hmm. Like where are mm-hmm. the right? Yeah. Um, no, I, I understand in a new context of being here that those traditions would change. But what were they before? Mm-hmm. Like where are the sacred groves in there's all there's all these questions? The more digging that you do, there's so many more questions come up. Like where are the sacred groves? Where are the plant medicine and the, and the magic and the, these other pieces that are that are true for humans all over the earth and, and it's connection to place mm-hmm. where is that and mm-hmm. so that's the question for you know people of european descent to go and explore especially ones who are, are here what that means what it means to be an exile mm-hmm. 
Mm, thank you for naming that. And I think that is such a good reminder to realize that the idea of blackness or whiteness is very abstract and we've just kind of invented it. And yeah, absolutely. Hope cloth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not, I don't really know where to take that, but I've, I've always felt like, or I just haven't known like, okay, is it better to say African-American or black? And yeah, I just, I guess yeah, I haven't known. All, all those terms, they're all loaded, right? Mm-hmm. There's no right term. I mean, I don't always whether know whether, whether to say, like, white or not. Is that a per, like, is that right? Mm-hmm. Like, because where, where are you people actually from? White is not a, there's no land of white people. It's not right. a real thing. You try to say, well, that's Europe. Well, tell that to a Flemish person and tell that to somebody who's living in Belgium. And are you mm-hmm. on the Flemish side or are you on the French side? Mm-hmm. Right. White doesn't even make sense there. <laughs> like those, those are about, that's about ethnicity and it's about place and it's place then ethnicity. Right. Cause you mm-hmm. know, only it's those things, they, they go together, but place is the, is the single most important factor. Cause even if people are different ethnicities living closely together, they're going to be more similar because they're living in the same place. They've got access to the same water, the same soil, the same weather conditions, the same geology. And so people more or less start to become more similar, even if they have different beliefs. Mm. And so I want, I want to be challenging the notions all the time. Like, what does it mean? Why are these things unexamined? Why are they, why do white people accept one that term? Because it's not honoring to those to to it's not honoring to your ancestors. Mm-hmm. Your ancestors weren't white. They didn't come from any. They were. I'm not sure where your people are from, but they didn't come from nowhere. Right. Yeah. Mostly Norway, Denmark, and um, Poland. Right. Those are places. Yeah. With traditions, with language, mm-hmm. with food, with dances, with customs, with dress, with aesthetics with language with all of those things that's not that's not a land where white people come from like those those people are danish or they're norwegian or they're polish or they're whatever right and those are not the only ethnic groups in those places Mm -hmm. and so like we get to we get to hold all parts of ourselves but but not just collapse it into this sort of political identity that has been Mm -hmm weaponized right because you just needed needed us versus them right the, yeah. the english people who were here at the time when these sort of ideas of race were being constructed in the 16 and 1700s they were outnumbered and so they had to bring people into their ranks and so they did that by creating what we now know as white these people are all white so they're us right but mm-hmm. in order to, in order to get under that banner you had to forget who you were before mm-hmm Right. And then, you know, all people of African descent became black. Right. And that's not, you know, that's not a term that, you know, and for the most part, I don't use that term. I mean, I do. Right. It's it's complicated. It's not cut and dry because it's a a term of solidarity. uh, And it Mm -hmm. connects me to uh, people who are African descended all over the globe. Mm -hmm. And that's a name that somebody else has given us. Mm hmm. 
again, it's not connected to a place. It's not connected to culture. It's not connected to anything. It's, it's not even descriptive. Right. Right. People who are, you know, there are black people come in all colors. Like there are people who are very, 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 very dark who may, you know, something fit closer to that, not to, to make fix closer to that name. And people who are very, 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 very light. And what we mean are people who are African descended, mm-hmm. not black. That's not, that's not descriptive. It may only be descriptive of a few people in the same way, you know, that pale colored skin would only be descriptive of very few people too. And that, but that does a disservice to everybody in that system. White yeah. people, you know, quote unquote white people, so-called white people as well. So um, white people haven't escaped. And that's, if I have anything to offer in this moment, is white people haven't escaped this either. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you've been told to build goods about, you know, who you are. Like your family just had to assimilate. Do you know any of your family's like ancestral languages? No. I I tried to learn Norwegian for a minute and then I was like, no. And also you were doing on your own, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What? That wasn't in your community. There's, there's like your grandparents or your great grandparents or whomever decided to no longer speak those languages. Mm-hmm. And there had to be a reason for that, right? Because there, that's not true for every community, communities move into other places and continue and keep their own languages up. Like Africa is a great example of that. People speak mm-hmm. multiple languages. They will acquire, they will simply acquire another one. Yeah. Um, and so it's not simply that we live in a new place, we're going to get a new language. That is assimilation and, be, and honestly being able to pass as, as English. Interesting. Yeah, I think it is so good to question that and to, you know, I'm doing more ancestry work and just kind of looking at my ancestors and trying to honor them. And so I think that's really good to question the language of, yeah, using the term white when that's not fully honoring or describing anything in and black is not describing you know it can be a term of solidarity and it also (laughs) is not telling the whole picture and not giving the whole story so I think that's that's really good to question that and that term is a reclaimed term right people started Mm -hmm. calling themselves black because it used to be a slur Mm -hmm. right and so that is a reclaimed term by the community but Mm -hmm. not that originates within the community so mm-hmm. uh, and yeah and you get to ask your same you get to ask yourself those same questions about your own community mm-hmm. is this the name we came up with ourselves or did we just assume it mm-hmm. yeah I think that's I really like that you're questioning everything and especially looking at language and how that molds our way of thinking the words that we use and has such an influence on our culture at large as well absolutely it went off on a tangent there (laughs) that's good it was i think it was very helpful and yeah super interesting so no that's great i'm curious if there's anything you want to say about food or 
you know, mm-hmm. thinking of culture and thinking about place as well. I feel like food is such a part of that. And being in North Carolina, growing up there, what that was like, food culture there, or if there's any favorite foods that you like to make for people. Yeah, I love food. Mm-hmm. I love talking about food. I love cooking food. It's funny, I, of all those things, I I think I, I enjoy eating food, but I don't like spending a lot of time eating. It's funny, uh-huh. like, I want oh, to actually eat over pretty quickly, even though I'm spending four <laughs> I'll spend four to seven hours cooking something, but I want to be done with that meal in like five minutes. That's um, so funny. Wow. Isn't that weird? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, North Carolina is a big foodie place and not mm-hmm. in any sort of, in a, in a, not in a modern sense in the way that people mean that. We're talking about like, you know, restaurants that people travel to, but this is a place that just cares a lot about food. And because mm-hmm. I grew up in North Carolina in the eighties and nineties, it's pretty different now because we have so many more chains and, you know, different, different kinds of cuisine. But when I was growing up, it was pretty much our local stuff and our local stuff and the occasional Chinese restaurant and the occasional Mexican restaurant. You know, we sort of got, you know, and I'm, I'm putting air quotes on all of those things, <laughs> but, you know, they were different to us. But, yeah, growing up, my mother's family's a great cooks. So we had, you know, my mother's a great cook. And so we had lots of good food, lots of special things that we got to have. And we, when we get together with our family, everybody had a sort of a specialty that they would bring. And we'd have, you know, such wonderful food. And I learned how to cook from my mother. And then so started. My mother was also, is also, she's still just an adventurous eater. And so I got exposed to a lot of things that I probably would not have just because she was interested in things. Like if something new would appear in the grocery store, she'd just buy it Mm -hmm. just because it was new when other people would literally bypass it for the exact same reason. Mm -hmm. Right. You have have the same object and people sort of are, no, I don't know what that is. I'm not interested in it versus another person who says like, Hmm, what is that? Neither one is, neither one, <laughs> neither one is wrong. They're just two different ways of, 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 of seeing the same thing. So yeah, we were introduced to things that wouldn't be cosmopolitan by today's standards, but for those standards and from where we live, we're very cosmopolitan. So there's something um, about that. I feel like, and just noticing that too and celebrating that your mom did that for you, I think is a big deal, you know, because a lot of people, yeah, take food for granted or they just want to eat the same thing every day. They don't want to experiment. And so I could see how maybe growing up and having, getting to try more unique things maybe helped bring about more of a curiosity for you about wanting to understand the world around you and wanting to understand plants more. And I could see how that might like fuel just yeah. a curiosity of life in general. Absolutely. Yeah. As a kid, I just wanted to know, always wanted to know the why I'm a Scorpio, I'm a double Scorpio. Mm-hmm. So like that sort of investigative thing is just in there, right? That's who I <laughs> yeah. That's who I am. That's who I am in there. And you know, my mother also sort of helped to to fuel that. Just like she was just an, an adventurous. And I'm, I'm saying this in the past tense because she's still my mother and she's still alive. But like that period of our lives is gone. But during that time, she was just an adventurous eater and just like wanted to have adventures and was was an adventurous kind of a mom. And so she definitely likes you know helped to like 
just expand our horizons. I remember going to an Indian restaurant for the very first time. I think we were on vacation. I think we were going to Florida or something. And we went to an Indian restaurant just because we didn't know any Indian people. We had never had any Indian food. We had literally no reference for this at all. Maybe we saw a picture of India one time. Mm-hmm. And I, well, I was maybe 10, 9 or 10. I was 10. Mm-hmm. And I still remember to this day how that restaurant smelled. Oh, I bet. That's so um, cool. Because I'd never smelled those smells before. I know now mm-hmm. what they are. But the smell of uh, smell of cumin and the smell of fennel and the smell of coriander and the smell of cardamom. But I had never, ever smelled those smells before. And I remember it. I remember the taste and it was so different. And I will never, ever forget it. But my mother introduced us to that. Yeah. And I think we ate vindaloos, which is not the first thing we should eat. <laughs> That's <laughs> but true. But it's I fun love, to say. <laughs> yeah. I, I love vindaloos now, but um, they're probably my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but at, when you're the very first time trying Indian food, it's all that's yeah, yeah that's it's probably not the first thing to try, right? The, the, the big jump. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's um, but, so sweet though. Yeah, and I remember that now. So, what do I make for people? Well, I like cooking lots of things. Our cuisine is really garden based, <laughs> so. You know, basically, you can cook an entire Southern meal from what you have pulled out of the garden that very same day. Like, it doesn't need a lot of processing. Um, And so, if you pick it that day, you're going to cook it and eat it that day, too. And so, a lot of our meals are based that way. So, it really is farmed. It's garden to table. I mean, because people have, you know, farms and stuff. People are farming cash crops, tobacco and whatever. Their gardens mm-hmm. is what they were eating out of. So gardens were much, much closer to the house. They weren't out in far out in the field. Mm-hmm. And so people were eating literally right outside of the, from right outside of their doors. I mean my grandfathers, both their gardens were literally right behind the house. Okay. And so you don't have to go anywhere. <laughs> you went literally out of the back door. You're in the garden. You're gonna pick whatever you're gonna eat that day. And that was the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you just started cooking immediately. And so we ate, you know, and I, we, I eat a lot of the same things, you know, yellow squash, and squash and onions and, you know, sweet potatoes on the stove and fried chicken and cabbage and collards and poke salad and all kinds of things. So good. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> cornbread and tea and cakes and cobblers and all that stuff. Um, we really do have a very rich cuisine here. You know, and it's it's changing as all things do. You know, and there's people who cook. I, you know, I pride myself in being able to cook the most traditional stuff and to be able to, you know, add my bit to it. And so, yeah, that's we had I have a lot of great food memories growing up we love cake in the south we just love oh. it. um <laughs> so good we just, we just love it yeah and so i have a lot of fond memories and i, I don't eat all the, that same way now i've actually learned how to cook a lot of vegan stuff and a lot of keto stuff which is you know oh, <laughs> southern cool. southern is neither southern food is neither <laughs> of those things. and i've learned lots of different workarounds for it and be still mm-hmm. being able to have the same kinds of feelings with it, you know, having a similar mouthfeel or similar taste without having the, you know, 
car bloating or the, you know, whatever, you know, there are mm-hmm. different reasons for that, you know, That's but, you know, amazing. it's not, it's not that the Southern food is unhealthy or, you know, something else is more healthy. It's all in sort of context. How does what you're eating fit your lifestyle? Mm, yeah. Absolutely. And your place. How does it fit your place in your lifestyle? That, that should be the thing that, well, that can be the thing that people use is their metric, not should be. There's no shoulds in the world. Yeah, those those are things I usually ask. Does it fit my lifestyle? Does it fit my place? Mm, I like that. That's a good uh, frame of reference for building a delicious plate each night. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'm curious, too. I saw on your Instagram that you're a papa. I am. Good dad, congratulations. That's so Thank exciting. You. How has that been for you? What is that like? It's quite a journey. I've wanted to be um I've wanted to be a dad for a long time. And it is totally absolutely challenging in every way you can. <laughs> yeah. Um and it's the most wonderful thing. There's a whole set of things I've already learned from this particular child mm. that I don't think I would have learned any any other way or would mm. have taken me so much longer to learn it. Children really are a gift. They really are. Like, that's not their sole purpose is to, you know, get our lives together, the adults. But that is sometimes a secondary effect. Yeah, I could see that. I don't have any kids, but I am an auntie, so my brother has kids, and that's that's plenty for me. <laughs> but I, yeah, I always learn so much from them, and I just I love spending time with my niece and nephew. They're just so brilliant yeah. and transformative to be around. So I love yeah, and, and their kids and their yeah. kids and they're they're not easy. No. I'm curious if there's any lesson that you want to share that you've learned about, from, you, from your uh, child so far. So far, I if think. If there's anything nameable, I don't know. I feel like yeah. sometimes it's things that are like, it's hard to give voice to sometimes. Yeah, well, the baby's extremely friendly. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that I thought that friendliness could be a character trait or personality trait. I just assumed that friendliness was uh, just social lubrication, right? You're just friendly because you need people to, you know, you don't, you can't be bristly all the time and expect people to do things for you. Um, <laughs> you know, or, you know, just be in community. I think, you know, yeah. I thought friendliness was a, was a, um, was just, you know, a learned thing. Mm-hmm. And this human child, who I have the pleasure of knowing, is a friendly person. Oh. Like she just is. She's waves at the trees. She waves at oh. spiders. She waves at, you know, beetles. I love that. Um, and I was like, oh yeah, you can actually be just friendly. You can just be enthralled and happy to see these creatures like existing alongside you. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's that's new. That's a new. That's a new awakening for me. Mm. That's beautiful. <laughs> that's so, uh, that just like makes my heart sing <laughs> with joy. That's, I love yeah. the thought of that, just her waving at a beetle. Yeah. So sweet. I mean, it's really fun to see her like wave at a spy. She gets like so excited to see it. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. Black people be, you know, both to like nurture that and to like be around the be around a little creature who is not gonna be afraid of, you know. I mean, granted, we don't need spiders all over us, right? Right. <laughs> but like also we our first reaction doesn't have to be to smash them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it, does, it doesn't it's, it doesn't it doesn't have to be you know you don't have to have spiders sleeping in the bed you know besides the bed or whatever and even though i did as a kid i was a super weird kid um <laughs> the as you might imagine given you know all the <laughs> different things i'm interested in yeah. um but the yeah that there doesn't have there's this middle ground of like just being able to regard to be in space with uh, a creature, with another mm-hmm. being, um, and just be friendly, right? Mm-hmm. Again, it doesn't mean that you need, you'll need to touch each other or that you need to interact all mm-hmm. that much, but just like, I'm happy you're here, and you get to stay yeah. there, and I get to do my thing, and you get to do your thing. When mm-hmm. on the- mm, that's so beautiful. I really love that. I, yeah. Something about that just, yeah, makes my heart sing. Thank you for sharing that story. I'm curious. I want to honor your time tonight, Justin, but I'm curious if there's other things uh, rising to the surface that you want to be sure to talk about. I guess other than, you know, yeah, our personal journeys are the thing that leads to like the, both the systemic and the institutional change because mm-hmm. you know i you know again we're all on our journeys i'm no different than anybody else mm-hmm. um, i'm just in my piece of the journey it may look like i'm further ahead or further behind depending on whoever's vantage point it's not either one of those things it's just where i am everybody else is on their own journey right it may look like they're further behind or further ahead depending on somebody else's further vantage point but but to really because you know we sometimes think about like when we say systemic racism or systemic anything systemic Mm -hmm. oppression that the system itself is an entity right Mm -hmm. it's actually it is and it isn't in the same way we talk about the economy the economy is not like a free roaming you know dragon who goes and sleeps Mm -hmm. in a cave and wakes up and gives everybody (laughs) like the numbers the next day those are (laughs) those are people Yes. It's people. It's mm-hmm. not a, it's a group of people. And so in order for systems to work, people have to agree to it. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that's the personal work. You can't you I mean it's both, right? Systems need to be dismantled in terms of like, you know, there are certain ways that institutions are set up. And if the system is dismantled, but the people have done no actual transformation in their own personal life they will go and recreate that system or the thing that spurred the system in the in the first place somewhere mm-hmm. else in mm-hmm. some other right we get on always know the form that that will take but if the you know the root thing is not in fact addressed it's going to show up it's going to sprout up somewhere else yeah. it's like a sucker i don't like a, a plant that you know sends up suckers like sassafras or or sumac or anything like any of those kinds of plants they just send up suckers Mm -hmm. um from the mother plant and that's how that is that's how systemic anything oppression of any sort works if it's not if people haven't done personal work it's both right in order for 
because in every one of these systems, the police, the judicial system, the political system, there's a clerk somewhere who's filing the paper, right? Mm-hmm. If the person hasn't done any transformational work, they are just like, well, I'm just doing my job, right? And holding up the system, right? And mm-hmm. maybe that they're, they're a vital part in dismantling it. Like if, you know, a clerk is a super important job. If you can't find the papers, then the thing didn't happen, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> just ask for you ask the clerks at a judge at, at a at a court system if they don't do their job, the thing didn't happen. The judgment mm-hmm. didn't even get entered. It doesn't matter. You could have, you could have gotten sentenced to whatever, mm-hmm. <laughs> and if it's not filed properly, it actually didn't happen, and there's no record of it. So the personal work then yeah. leads to the institutional, right? Because the institutions are not they're not freestanding. They're not they're not entities in of themselves mm-hmm. and it's important to remember that it's the both and this is systemic mm-hmm. because there are a lot of people acting under the same notions and yeah. that's what makes and it's hard to, it's hard to that's a lot to hold it's a lot of different things to hold i even sometimes have trouble holding it because sometimes like well, we can't do this one by one and it has to be both dismantled and done one by one mm, yes wow i feel like there is something really important in that. And I really like how you gave the example of the clerk. Yeah, we need to do it all. Every person needs to do our own little part to work on becoming anti-racist. And we also need to work on the structures at large and dismantle those, change those and do that work simultaneously. Yep. Uh, all at the same time. It's like the work is, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot to be done. It just mm-hmm. is. And we have to start immediately. Mm-hmm. If, if people have, if you haven't started now, if this is, you know, people who, this is their first foray into this, get to like, take some deep breaths and then get to work. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious, how can we support you? How can we connect to you? Are there, is there any anything else rising to the surface you want to name? No, I think in in general for whoever's whoever your audience is, is that making sure they're supporting black businesses, and if that business is not just supporting black businesses, just um, just off. But I want to be specific about what I mean support. And so, if that business is making a black product or something, or something that's specifically for the community, like it may not make sense for you to buy a bunch of that or to go into that space, right? Mm -hmm. But it may be like, oh, I just want to make a donation to your business. That is also fine, right? You may not need to purchase the product, right? Mm -hmm. Um, In the same way that I don't know, you know, seeing people who are street vendors or whatever, sometimes you don't need the thing that they're selling, right? Um, Like an ice cream person or whatever, who's an independent person, not who's, you know, paid or whatever. You may not need those you know, those rocket pops or any of that other stuff. <laughs> eat that. But if mm-hmm. this is a man, you know, this is a source of income for this person, you could just donate it and have them keep the product, right? Mm-hmm. If it's not, if it's all the same to you, right? And, you're, and that's what you feel like you want your money to do, then you can do that too without mm-hmm. having, like say it's a, a restaurant or a black yoga studio or something like that it may not be appropriate for white people to show up in the space and take classes because then you may be making that space not feel comfortable to to black folks Mm -hmm. but it may be like i want to support this by you can just you know i want to just 
donate. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's another way to just be of service. So support these businesses, especially because you know they were already you know in a not in a world of equality. <laughs> These businesses were struggling anyway. And then in the world of COVID, these businesses are, are struggling even harder. Mm-hmm. And the recession that will sort of come, is coming, is happening, whatever, that we haven't felt the full effects of yet, is happening. Like, the situation is pretty dire for a lot of these businesses. So yeah. go support them and support. And if, you, and if possible, support them without needing to like receive the thing. Now, of course, if you want the thing, then buy it. Um, like, oh, I don't want to, you know, I've seen people do this in the past. Like if it's a, let's say it's a, I'm just giving this as an example, like a yoga retreat or something like that. I've seen people like buy two or three slots and not actually use them. Like, no, give these to people for, on a scholarship basis. Oh, I love that idea. That's so beautiful. Right, and so that you're you're donating the the, the mm-hmm. person is the the business owner is getting the money, and the community is not having to like then you know potentially be traumatized by seeing a white person in this space because sometimes that just in itself is a traumatic experience, mm-hmm. uh, depending on the community and depending on the space. So that's a way. That's a way to sort of move through that into doing, because I understand that people's inclination is to do something in this mm-hmm. moment. I get in there. You can do something. There's not, there's, you know, there's, there are things to do. And then also that should always be informed by what the community is saying. So mm-hmm. uh, if there's a, you know, people almost always take, <laughs> take free money basically. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, and it's not really, and it's not truly free in that way. Like, People have been, you know, gifted money. If you've ever inherited anything, that's like that's free. That's free money, right? Mm-hmm. You didn't actually do anything besides being born into the particular family. That's like that's not actually your money in any real sense. You didn't. You, the individual, didn't do anything for it. You made your parents may have decided to give it to your grandparents or whoever mm-hmm. um, because of your association with them, but they did that. So sometimes the money is, is so, and I don't mean to say free money in terms of like people that don't deserve it, but you know. But um, no, I know what you mean. Like, it's not like working for right. the money. Right, right. And so that's something that I would, that's something I would encourage so that, you know, folks who don't have enough money and, and really need to access some of these services, um, you know, can have access to it without money being the thing that bars them from from access yeah that's such a great idea i think that's yeah really beautiful and is there a way people can donate money to you for your yeah. the education and the that you're post, offering there's a cash app uh post on there's a post on the feed that has oh, my cash great. app and info on it and i'll do another one and I'm, I'm going to do a I'm going to start. I think I've been doing a video every day and that's a little too much. It seems like so, a lot of work, actually. I was like, yeah. how is, how are you doing that? Seems- yeah. So it's, it's, you know, I often record two or three at a time if mm-hmm. I'm in a good, but it's still, you know, even on the minimal level with, you know, minimal production, it's still a tiny production. So, oh, yeah. Uh, so I'm going to do a few, do some fewer in the coming days as I sort of, figure out what the what the actual pace is 
And, you know, oftentimes, you know, it, it sometimes plants want to be highlighted and sometimes they don't. So, yeah, um, that too. That too. So it's, it's <laughs> lots, lots, lots of factors, but donating helps. It allows me to some, you know, be able to, to, to do it and without having to be, you know, extra stressed. And, you know, I'm, oh, the power just came back on. Um, oh, nice. Like, and I'm teaching. I don't get paid for this in any other circumstance. Yeah. So, yeah, so that feels, it feels fine to be supported. Definitely. Um, I will definitely make sure I have a link to the show notes and then um, a link to your Instagram as well. So that's, I think that's a great way for people to support you. And yeah, you're doing such beautiful work. And so I think it's definitely worth a lot to the universe. So thank you for doing that. Quite well. Oh my gosh, Justin. Well, thank you so much for making time to talk today. I feel like it was just really wonderful to connect with you. And thank you for sharing all of your deep wisdom and stories. And it was just really incredible to learn more about who you are and your experiences and your background and just to understand how to move forward with grace and in a more aligned way as we move forward yeah i think that's that's what we're looking for is balance well thank you for your time and um yeah we'll be in touch that sounds perfect thank you justin have a beautiful night okay talk to you soon i hope you enjoyed this episode please be sure to connect with justin on instagram at country gentleman cooks And thank you so much for being such a wonderful listener. I appreciate you being here. If you are digging the show, please be sure to share this episode with a friend or you can share it on your stories. I just figured out how to use stories on Instagram. You may have noticed if you follow me that I am kind of on a story story kick. Uh, You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts too. It is really helpful to help other people find the podcast. And you just go to Apple Podcasts, look up Time in the Studio, and click on the link to leave a review. It just takes up to two minutes, maybe, and it means the world to me. So thank you so much in advance for doing that. And, uh, yeah, let's connect on Instagram or via my newsletter. So on Instagram, you can just look for Time in the Studio Podcast. Uh, or you can look for my website. It's www.adazia.com, A-I-D-A-Z-E-A.com. And I have a newsletter I send out in general. I was sending it out every two weeks, but I am a little overdue. So that will go out in a couple days. And I'm not actively using Facebook right now, as I discovered they are undermining the work of Black Lives Matter and are have a Republican-leaning focus. So I'm leaning away from them. Uh, If you enjoy the show and you're in a secure place financially, please consider supporting black businesses and organizations. And I'm donating 10% of my Patreon friend, 10% of Patreon funds to an organization called Crafting the Future this month. And we'll continue to donate 10% to a black empowerment organization each month moving forward. So if you do want to support on Patreon, I greatly appreciate it. And please consider supporting black businesses and organizations as well. And Justin also is 
going to, he has a cash app link. I will have a link to that in the show notes as well if you want to donate to his beautiful work. And I'd love to connect with you and know what magic you're up to these days. What plants are you connecting with? What are you feeling? What do you want to hear about on the show? Who do you want to hear from? Thanks so much again for being here and I hope you enjoy your time. May our efforts benefit all beings. Take care.